Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Where is traffic going to go when Maine and King are rearranged in Hamilton? The pride flag remains under attack. Women should take note of a new report from the Heart and Stroke Foundation. What's going on with commercial real estate in this city and in this country? And Mohawk College gets a taste of the king of rock and roll. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well, this is not only a hot topic now, but will be probably for the next several years. And that is the conversion of Main Street and King Street, especially in the downtown core. Because as we know, with LRT coming in, with Main going from one way to two way in the not too distant future, there's going to be a lot of chaos. I'm sure there's going to be some confusion, throw in some other Words that I'm sure we're all going to be belting out as we're driving and navigating through uh, all this. Uh, One question is, where is the traffic going to go and how is this ultimately going to impact businesses, especially in the core? Greg Dunnett is the president of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Greg, good morning. Welcome to the program. How are you doing this morning? I'm, I'm fantastic. Are you looking forward to this? Well, like, I think, you know, we always have to take a step back. On, on situations like this and look at why we're doing this. And I think the, the reality is, is we are completely going to transform our, our downtown in the next decade. Uh, and, and both for living and working in that downtown core. And the, the projects you just discussed, the LRT, the Main Street 2A conversion, the downtown entertainment district, all of them are going to be good for business when completed. Uh, they're going to make transform Main Street from a thoroughfare to a destination. Downtown is going to get new business opportunities and it's going to create a more prosperous community. And when we look at what's being done in our community right now, Rick, I think there's a lot of really good things that are coming from that. We look at the transportation network. Um, All world-class cities have a robust public transportation system and HSR is redesigning that network. The city is currently conducting a strategic transportation network review that at the end of the day, these initiatives are essential for making Hamilton a world-class city. Uh, it's going to address the densification that's coming. It's going to bring billions of dollars of, of investment in, and it's going to support that growth as we grow by 236,000 people and 122,000 jobs uh, by 2051. Those, those are those well, are all those plus. Are all, those are all them. But I, and I was just going to say, but the issue of today is for most people, they're not. They're not looking at 10 years or 30 years down the road to a fantastic downtown. They are worried about getting to and from work today. Yeah, and the the phrase short-term pain for long-term gain comes to mind. It's certainly uh, what's going to happen in this case. That short-term pain, though, that's going to be really painful for downtown businesses. And listen, and I I will say this, too. I can can personally... I get those concerns. I, I'm, I'm uh, notoriously late as it is. The downtown traffic congestion is not going to help me be on time. Um, and I think what I'm hearing as the president of the Chamber of Commerce, Commerce for both citizens and businesses is really what they're looking for right now is information. They want to feel like they're in the know. And because when you know what's coming and how it's going to impact you, you can plan for that upcoming disruption. Um, and there's also that component of people want to play a role in in developing their community. So I can we're doing a lot. I I think it's it's incredibly important 
as a priority for our organization, the Chamber, to help support downtown businesses as we go through this. Uh, we are encouraging all businesses and residents to go to the Engage Hamilton portal on the City of Hamilton website and, and participate in the studies that are helping to uh, set the redesign and make sure that we are improving safety, we are improving accessibility and placemaking, and we are driving future economic opportunity. I know tomorrow the LRT subcommittee is reconvening, and we're going to push for more information if it is not readily shared, because it's imperative that people learn about what, how, how and when they're going to be impacted as that process begins. And then we're working with our uh, Metrolinks on, on revitalizing our LRT Ready program to help support the businesses. Uh, we've got Hamilton Day on in early November this year, and that's an important shop logo program. We really are going to need everyone to support businesses in the downtown as we go through this transition so that they're there when we get to that point where our downtown has transformed. And, you know, part of that is allow helping them go online. We're working on building the digital Main Street program. And then another initiative that I think is really important is creating opportunities for people to come into the downtown core, you know, through a nighttime economy to help support businesses. So we can, again, REC is, it's going to be great if we have all, it's, it's great that we're going to have all these programs and processes in place, but if we need to have the businesses that are down there that have helped us process of revitalizing our downtown, have that continue to be that they need to be there when we come out of this process. Yeah, that, so that's that, why all these programs are so important. That's going to be the tricky, tricky part when you're when you're tearing up a couple of major thoroughfares, revitalizing first Ontario Center. I mean, it's going to be there's going to be some pain down there. We'll, we'll continue to have this conversation because it is an important one to have. But Greg, I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it and have a great day. You too. Greg Dunnett, president of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. And one of the things that he identified is businesses just want to be in the know. They want to be informed. They want to have that latest information so they can make a decision on what they are going to do. And I can imagine that uh, many business owners in downtown Hamilton are extremely scared at the future. Yeah, they're hopeful that when it's all done, it's going to be awesome. But what about from now until then? How are they going to continue to survive? You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Pride Month is underway, but it is not a smooth start by any means. We have had the situation in York Region where the Catholic board there has said, uh, you know what, we're not going to raise the pride flag. It's not the values that we believe in. Down in Niagara, the Niagara Catholic School Board says it will raise the pride flag this month, which, hey, thumbs up on that. But it comes after a trustee with the Niagara Catholic School Board comparing the pride flag to the Nazi flag, the Nazi symbol. What? What? Enzo DeVitas is the chair and co-founder of Pride Niagara and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Enzo, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm okay. This is... I'm not even sure what the word I want to use. It is disheartening, disheveling, sobering, and at the same time... Unfortunately, not surprising. What are you feeling today hearing the details of what's happened at the Niagara Catholic School Board? Well, I was pretty shocked to hear um, an educator say something that's so uneducated initially. <laughs> yes. to, to make such an odd comparison, um, it's just, just really shocking, considering how many uh, people that would, like, just triggering uh, and, and how that affected, like, 
the queer community to begin with to make that comparison. It just, I know, it was, it's shocking. I realize there would be pushback um, because there always is pushback and there always is hate masked under religion, um, especially towards the queer community. But that comparison was that comparison was a bit much. That was a bit shocking. When it comes to the pride flag, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to the community? Um, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of pride. It's a symbol to let everyone know that there is there are people there are people there for you. This is not just, and it's not just necessarily for the two LGBTQ plus community. It's a symbol of pride to let everyone know that if you are not in a place right now where you feel you can be yourself, if you're not in a place where your family is accepting or your coworkers or you feel safe being yourself yet, there is a place that you can be. There are people that will accept you. It, it, it represents struggles. It represents achievements. I, I I get all that too. You know, you look at the the rainbow flag, and you know, for me, it symbolizes inclusion, uh, acceptance, togetherness, uh, and inviting a warm hug to say, "Hey, let's let's move on together. Let's pull the rope all at the same time." Right. And I I just don't, just me personally, I just don't understand how people don't get that. I don't understand, and I, to say religion all the time, to always have that conversation. Um, what religion, which God, it's just the whole conversation just is so repetitive and redundant at this point. And it's, you're publicly, you're a publicly funded school. It's not a private school. You're receiving funds from the government. You're publicly funded. Sorry. You have to serve the public to think that the, the people at your school, the students, the teachers, the staff, the faculty overall, that you don't have someone in our community there? Come on. That's absurd. It's everyone that attends a Catholic school isn't Catholic. So why would everyone that attends the school not be a part of the 2SLGBT community? Enzo DeVitius is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Enzo is the chair and co-founder of Pride Niagara. We're talking about well, a couple issues here. Niagara Catholic School Board says it is going to raise the Pride flag, uh, Pride flag this month to celebrate Pride Month, but it comes as a trustee with the uh, with the board compared the flag, the Pride flag, to the Nazi flag, the Nazi symbol, which to me again is still mind-boggling. But again, not not surprising when we're when we're talking about this issue. The other part of this too is, and I referenced it earlier, the the York. Catholic school board said we're not flying the pride flag uh, at all. It, it doesn't align their words, not mine. It doesn't align with their values, with their belief system. What kind of message do you think that is sending to the entire community? It just sends a message of flat out ignorance. So if you're saying it, it doesn't align with it, then I'd like to know what they are. Or It just seems so uneducated and uh, again, just using religion and using their faith as an excuse to cover up what the real issue is. And the real issue is hate because I don't think it comes down to a phobia. There's no fear there. This is just hate. Do you get the sense, and this might be you know, a question that you're probably not going to uh, be able to answer, but do you get a sense that some people who attend Catholic schools or any school that says, you know what, we're not going to fly this flag, that um, parents of those kids or even parents themselves you know, or even thinking internally, you know, maybe I shouldn't send my kid to this school. It doesn't seem to be an inclusive, welcoming place. Um, I can't see how it, it wouldn't, like how parents are, wouldn't have that. 
I, I understand, like, I went through Catholic school. I went all through Catholic school in my life, and there was a time where this conversation wasn't happening. Like, people were not having this conversation. We were not talking about flags, and people weren't supporting marginalized communities as much as they are now. Our marginalized communities didn't have a strong voice like we do now. Those times are different. Conversation has changed. Parenting has to evolve. Like, your job description has changed. Um, your kids are seeing different things. They're living different things. They're different people in the world. You can't. I don't understand how you would make a choice to send your child or to work for um, a school board, the school board like the Catholic school board at this point, and say, when they're saying this whole group of people, we're not going to acknowledge them. We're not going to say they exist. We're not going to celebrate them. What's supposed to happen when you're outside those doors? It's a good how question. Do you know, how, how do you send your child out that unprepared to meet these people and acknowledge these people and work and live and celebrate and love yeah, it's a good question. There's a, there's another story we're tracking this morning, and we only got a, bit, a minute to discuss this, but there's a church in Beamsville. I'm not sure if you heard this one yet or not, but it had a pride flag. It was vandalized, cut up by a group of individuals that police are, are now investigating. And uh, the church has said, oh, you know what, we're, we're not only going to re-raise the flag, uh, we're going to make it a permanent fixture at the church, even after Pride Month. That's That's got to be heartwarming for you. Yes, that I had did hear that, and that is that is faith. That is what, that's the mission point right there. That's what people should be doing because that's inspiring and showing you, showing people you have to support each other because if there's a community, a marginalized community, especially like the queer community during Pride Month, uh, you have to listen to them and you have to be an ally. That is what being an ally is, support. Absolutely. And I always like to use the phrase, love is love. There, and that's it. It's it's a four-letter word that can be used in certain circumstances, but in this case, love is love, and love uh, is love. And, and we're and loving pride. Hate. So what, what those actions prior, the, the hate is hate, and if love is love, hate is hate, and there's no way around it. You got it. Enzo, appreciate the time. Enjoy Pride Month. Thank you very much. Happy Pride to you. Enzo DiDavidi is chair and co-founder of Pride Niagara. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a, a horrible but great story in Beamsville. And kudos to that church for saying, yeah, you know what? How about this? How about this? How about we make it a permanent fixture? Because we love everyone. And that's what Pride Month is all about. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Heart and Stroke Foundation is out with a new report this morning. And it finds, well, there's lots of information packaged in in this report. Uh, Number one, when it comes to stroke, women are disproportionately affected. The document shows stroke risk triples during pregnancy, and it is also higher after menopause for elderly women. And also, when it comes to side effects, women are hit harder for things like depression and anxiety and that, you know, services and supports afterwards are still lagging behind. Dr. Sashi Pereira is a stroke and vascular neurologist at Hamilton General Hospital and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Pereira, good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Rick? Not too bad. Thanks for joining us today. What's your main takeaway from this new report from the Heart and Stroke Foundation? So this is something we have known, but now Heart and Stroke Foundation have proved within um, research showing that women are disproportionately affected by stroke itself. And also recovery-wise, women are doing less uh, well than men, and also they are more prone to depression and anxiety post-stroke. So we need to do better for um, improving these conditions. Do we know why this is happening? 
Um, there's numerous factors. And uh, first of all, women do, um, recovery-wise, women do worse than men, and women have more, uh, women end up more, like twice as more commonly in long-term care than men when they are affected by a stroke. Women are older when they get a stroke, so they are less caregivers uh, to look after them. So that's one of the reasons that they end up in long-term care. And also, um, generally, in general population, women are more likely to have depression and anxiety. And so if you have depression or anxiety or any mood disorder before the stroke, you're more likely to get uh, uh, depression and anxiety after a stroke. So and, these are one, some of the reasons. And this would obviously impact a woman's mental health as well. Not only have you suffered a you know major health scare, if you have now developed depression or anxiety, I mean, that that's really taxing on the mind. It is, it is. And more and more younger women, and you mentioned, Rick, that uh, during pregnancy, the um, risk of stroke is tripled. So more and more younger women are having stroke and they are expected to, like societal expectation, uh, they'll be a caregiver. So they do come back to like providing this care when their mental health is not optimized. So we, um, Heart and Stroke has put out a lot of material out there educating women and general population on like these risks and on how to uh, mitigate this. Dr. Sashi Pereira is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dr. Pereira is a stroke and vascular neurologist with Hamilton General Hospital. And there's also some statistics in terms of uh, post-stroke care and fewer women compared to men actually participate in stroke rehabilitation. It is. It sounds like it's just a big snowball effect and one thing coming after another. It is, unfortunately. Um Part of this is because uh, women are more frailer than men uh, when they have the stroke. So this itself will reduce their ability to go to rehab. And also um, they have, they're less likely to have someone else to help them participate in rehabilitation, most, mostly because um, they, they would also like to return to their homes after stroke than men. So these are limiting factors. And unfortunately, in all comers, only 16% go directly to inpatient rehabilitation after a stroke. So these are some things we can improve on. There has been a, a bigger spotlight on heart and stroke and heart, and, and heart health. Are, are we seeing fewer people suffering strokes these days, or is that number continuing to be steady? Um, with the aging population, we are seeing more people uh, suffering stroke. However, we do have good... Uh, acute treatment for them. It's very important, like heart and stroke message is like uh, educating people to identify these strokes um, quickly so that we can prevent, uh, like treat these strokes when it happens. And the message uh, phase, um, look at the phase, is the phase drooping, um, um, lift the arm, can you lift the arm? Uh, and um, uh, and then uh, speech, like is there difficulty speaking? And uh, time, like time is very important. So call 911, like fast. Um, you, so those things will help recognize the stroke symptoms. And then you have to call 911 so that we can try to treat and reverse these symptoms. Um, and that has helped a lot in acute setting. However, we have done really well in the acute setting. We need to do better in once we've had a stroke, 
um, the recovery part is that now we are focusing on. We only have about a minute. What are some of the best things we can do now before we get a little bit older that can help prevent uh, heart and stroke disease? So one of the most important things are exercise. Many research has proved that exercising 20 to 30 minutes at least five times a week would really improve um, your chances of um, preventing a stroke or heart disease happening. Dr. Pereira, thank you very much for your time and your insight and information on this, and hopefully we can get uh, people a little more healthier today. Thank you, Rick. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We've been talking a lot about residential real estate, and for good reason. We've had a really topsy-turvy real estate sector residentially for the last, well, few years since the start of the pandemic. It has been a roller coaster for sure. We all thought it was going to be all downhill, and then all of a sudden, prices and sales and this and that going through the roof, and while it has settled down a little bit, we're seeing activity build up uh, over the last number of months. What about commercial real estate? We haven't really talked about that over the last little while. Well, it's quite timely because there's a new report out by REMAX Canada that suggests there may be a significant upswing in demand in the latter half of this year for commercial real estate. And more office to residential conversions are in the offing, but there is some red tape that's holding up zoning amendments, and and the ball is really not rolling in this regard. Let's spend the next few minutes with Christopher Alexander. He's the president of REMAX Canada, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Christopher, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me again. Good to be here. So what should we know from this report about commercial real estate in Hamilton and in Canada overall? Well, for starters, after a slow first quarter and some caution from consumers, we're starting to see the sentiment really shift in most of the commercial sector. The two big ones are still industrial and multi-unit residential. Um those two sectors are still performing incredibly well. Inventory levels in those segments are still very, very low and demand has really carried through. Um, and most other sectors are performing well outside of office. Like even retail is having a huge bounce back, uh, all things considered. Um, and it, it's for the most part, it's a, an encouraging story, except for that uh, office demand sector, which remains uh, severely low. Now, with the the office sector, we're seeing, and, and we've seen it since the start of the pandemic, more people working from home, more you know, uh, empty buildings, uh, especially in downtowns. What's the impact been, and do you see a recovery? Well, it's really having an effect on urban centers across the world. Uh, you know, there was a report; several reports have been released around what's happening in places like San Francisco and New York. Los Angeles and, you know, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver aren't immune to it. I just don't, it hasn't, I haven't seen the dramatic effect like the, the aforementioned cities in the U S but it's, it's a, it's an issue that we all need to be aware of because, you know, the major urban centers are kind of the beating heart of economic and financial sectors. And it's really, really important that we find ways to, revitalize, re-energize those, those areas. I, I'm also not totally convinced that office is completely dead. I think after almost three years now of predominantly remote work, people are, are 
you know, human, human nature is starting to kick in and people are <laughs> longing for that face-to-face -face human connection. However, as long as commute times are exorbitant and traffic continues to build, that is, uh, seems to continue to be a big deterrent for workers. We're in discussion with Christopher Alexander, the president of REMAX Canada. REMAX Canada with a new report about commercial real estate in this country. Uh, one of the hot topics is we know there is a housing crisis, a housing shortage in this country. And uh, a lot of people are saying, why don't we take these empty office spaces, many of them downtown, and make them condos, make them apartments? Where are we at with that? Well, it's pretty much non-existent outside of Calgary. Um They've got about 10 projects approved to do a conversion. That's going to be really interesting because Calgary, although it's an incredible city, it doesn't really have a downtown urban life. And, and maybe this is an opportunity for Calgary to really build a sense of community. But that's certainly a growing opportunity for, um, you know, for to, to provide more in inventory for, you know, the everyday person. And I think the challenge will be the way most office buildings are constructed. You know, you don't have opening windows. Elevator shafts are almost always in the very middle of the building. So you have, um, you know, basically a, a circle around that elevator shaft. So it'll be interesting to see how apartments could or couldn't be developed in those. But it's certainly a great opportunity, especially in a place like Calgary, where vacancies are almost at 35 percent in some parts of the city. So it's an opportunity for sure. It's just it's too early to tell how it's going to shake out. It's going to be interesting to watch. That is for sure. Christopher, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you for your time this morning. Thanks for having me. Christopher Alexander is the president of REMAX Canada. And again, their latest report saying that there may be a significant upswing in demand in the latter half of this year for commercial real estate and pointing primarily to those strip malls, those uh, commercial entities in which you can have, well, any any sort of store in place. As far as the downtown office towers go, uh, still a lot of heavy lifting uh, to do in that regard. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.